Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi guys, so today's a little different. Um, We've received a lot of messages from you guys asking who we are, um, which is understandable. We never Mm -hmm. really explained ourselves when we started this whole thing over a month ago. So we thought we would backtrack. So if you want to know why we're doing this, I would really, um, I think you could probably have it explained best in our intro episode. We talk about why invoice to go is sponsoring this podcast and why we have created this initiative. But if you want to know about us, we're going to do something a little different today. So first, (laughs) Sylvie is going to interview me, and then I'm going to interview Sylvie. And um, taking yeah. our turns in the hot seat. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm used to being the one asking the questions. I don't know. How do you feel? I feel nervous. Do you feel nervous? No. Because oh. it's you. Oh, well, stop it. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to hit you with. I could. That's I could hit true. you with a question. That you just weren't. <laughs> oh, oh God! So now I'm nervous. I know. <laughs> oh, She's yeah. like, it's my turn first, so I'll set the tone. Okay. All right. <laughs> set the tone, Sylvie. Take it away. <laughs> So I met Nat last year, but <laughs> Nat has a very, very colourful and interesting life, so inspiring to me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and you're originally from? Okay, so I'm going to have to explain this to you the way I explain it to most people. So I live in Sydney, Australia, guys. Uh, Sylvie and I both live in Sydney, Australia right yeah. now. Neither of us are from here. So most people that I meet when I say Columbus, Ohio, they're like, what? <laughs> because, really? No. They're like, what? I Idaho? I'm like, no, not Idaho. Iowa? <laughs> no, not not Iowa. No. But um, so Ohio, Columbus is kind of half, uh, halfway-ish between Chicago and New York, more closer to Chicago. Oh, cool. It's on the Midwest side, but it's really underneath Toronto is a good way so to explain cold. it. It's very cold. Okay. Is it's, that why you moved it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the weather didn't hurt. Um, but yeah, it's like a 45-minute flight from Toronto. It's like a, cro- a hop across the lake, but under Cleveland. We're definitely not Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I grew up. Um, it's real. It's a progressive city. I'm really, really lucky. It's very artistic. It's got a thriving art scene. It's got people from all over um, come to Columbus. We've got a lot of really good uh, big companies and a lot of jobs. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. So it's and a lot of great agencies and things. So Like creative agencies? Yeah, yep. creative agencies because we've got some big brands like Abercrombie & Fitch, um, the limited brands. Really? Victoria's Secret, all came from Columbus no and are headquartered in Columbus. Yeah. They lie. Um, <laughs> they'll say they're from London or New York. They're actually not. Um, they do have offices there, but their headquarters are in Columbus, Ohio. Oh. And that's where they were founded. All the Les Wexner brands and all that stuff were founded in Columbus. So it is a hub of big brands and actually creative um, freedom. So 
it's really neat. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, I had no idea that about Columbus. Yeah, there are lots of little cool cities like that. Like Austin, Texas is a lot like that. Um, Nashville is a bit like that. It's like this little hub of like creative energy yeah. in a more conservative space. So like Ohio is conservative-ish as a, it's a swing state, but it's right. more, you know, um, a lot of people marry their high school sweethearts, live in small towns and that kind of thing. And it's got a lot of traditional thinking. Um, but then Columbus is just a lovely multicultural kind of melting pot, which is really beautiful. So did you want to stay there? Was that you kind of where you um, saw your life when you were growing up? Is it one of those no. towns? I have this like probably misconception <laughs> that there's a lot of American towns that, yeah. where people just stay put. That but, is true. Okay. Um, I you know Columbus is lovely. Um, and you know, but I wanted to do everything. Like I wanted to live in Paris. I wanted to, um, explore the world. I I. I never wanted to stay in one place, really. Mm. Um, Is that from reading and, like, watching things? Like, what gave you that travel inspiration? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. Okay, so here's the thing about Columbus. So even though it's a multicultural kind of melting pot and an artistic kind of hub where it is, um, it's people still live pretty traditional lives, right? Okay. They they watch football, They which, you know, go box for anybody listening that happens to be from Ohio. Um or anywhere in the country. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're very, like, um, people live in the suburbs and they work for a corporation and they, yeah. you know, a lot of people just do, like, you know. And I always felt, and and women, like, women, there's a very specific, throughout a lot of America, but especially in the Midwest, there's a very specific kind of um, mold that they think a woman should be, mm-hmm. is to be, like, a good woman, quote-unquote. And I was never a good woman. Okay. Um, <laughs> Did you feel that pressure? My mom was a housewife. Mm-hmm. A lot of people's moms in our generation were housewives in the States. Yeah. Um, but so she she always wanted me to, like, be independent and, and smart and stuff like that. But then she didn't know how to handle me once I was. Right. Like, she she also taught, don't be selfish. Don't be too bossy. Don't And that, Natalie, I can't believe you would say that. When I was just speaking my mind, right, like, okay. using my intelligence and my, you know, the things I had read to form an opinion and not biting my tongue on it just because I disagreed with whatever male was in the room. You yeah, know, it, okay. it's just... Um, so I never f- quite felt like I belonged in Columbus. It was weird. It felt hard. And the time that I was growing up there, which, guys, I was born in 1984, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's much different now. Um, but I felt like I was someone who people didn't know how to handle Okay. a bit. Oh. Yeah. So did yeah. you then feel like, I want to go find my tribe? Um, I did find my tribe. I yep. mean, I found my tribe. So, yeah. So I, um, you know, I've lived in a couple of different places. Um, but I also found, like, very forward-thinking, badass women yeah. <laughs> in that city and in other parts of the world, too, through my travels and things. But, um, you know, I I found women who who in my generation, especially who thought like me, which mm-hmm. was a little bit different to what the the American standard for womanhood was at the time. 
Yeah. Um, and still is to a large extent. It's like if you, it's, I don't know, it's this weird thing where we have no, we don't have equality yet, but we don't have chivalry anymore either. <laughs> so guys want us to like make at least as much money as they do, but they don't want us to disagree with them at the dinner table. It's it's like a really weird yeah. <laughs> like juxtaposition, you know, and not everyone, obviously every situation is different, but mm-hmm. culturally like women still struggle yeah. in the States and struggle other places too, but I definitely found, like, as a woman, you know, I was called a feminist a lot, and they use the word. Like a dirty word. Like a dirty yeah. word. Or a fem Nazi, yeah. which is such an offensive <laughs> term. It is so offensive yeah. to call anyone a Nazi of anything yeah, yeah, and yeah. so crude. And people just throw that term around for women who have opinions. And especially if you start to express that opinion with valid facts mm. and back it up. I feel threatened. So it's yeah, like, what they're like, oh, they're like, they come, you know, and they'll, oh, you, well, you and your feminist, whatever, as if it's, I'm like, I'm sorry, you don't have a well-read response. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's just, it's, I'm sorry <laughs> that I have a prepared argument. It's, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. And I just... So then did you study that or... Yeah, so I studied in Columbus. Yes. Yeah. Um, there is actually kind of a world-renowned design school there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah because you actually We're, studied what? Um, advertising and graphic design yeah. and also interior design really? and also art history. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my major so many freaking times. Um, I went into, so um, I ended up going into uh, an internship in this um, architect's, uh, his name's Costas Candilas. Yeah. So he was a famous architect in New York. So my first job was an internship in his office. In New York? In New York, cool. yeah. And I didn't know whether I wanted to be an interior designer or a marketer at that point. I helped them with both yeah. things. Oh, I, cool. I did some like graphics and stuff for them and like marketing stuff for them, but also a bunch of design things for them. And it was really cool. Um, and that creative mindset has really never left. Um, but yeah, it was a really neat first experience. Um, I was out of my element. Like I was a Midwestern girl. Like I thought Pottery Barn was chic <laughs> at that time. Like that was like the nicest couch you could get was from Pottery Barn. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, living in New York and working for these women who look like they had walked off of the cover of Vogue. And, you know, they're, they're teaching me about design principles and, you know, in a whole different way and about this culture I had never imagined, you wow. know. And, I mean, he was, um, I hate to say the name because it gives some people PTSD, but Kostas Kandilis was Trump's preferred designer for all the Trump Towers. Really? Yeah, before he was in poli- before Trump was yeah, in yeah, politics. Yeah. Obviously, this was the early 2000s, but so he was well known. Like he designed like marble bathtubs made say, out was of everything gold. Everything, <laughs> everything was gold and marble. <laughs> everything. Um, <laughs> yep, just smother, smother it in gold and marble. Yeah, but um, so he was really well known. And just jumping into an environment like that, mm. um, you know, from my small city to a big city with people from all over, um, you know, and then just jumping into a high pressured environment where people you, you performed. Yeah. You know, whatever task you were given, you performed. Was Um, there a different work ethic in New York to Columbus, do you think? There was, you know, across... So Columbus is a smaller city, but it's almost like you have to work twice as hard to prove that you're just as good as the people from New- as the talent in New York. Right. Okay. You know, it's. but I think the work ethic in America in the early 2000s when I started was like I could have 
like broken my leg and walked through a fire to get to work because you just didn't let oh your boss gosh. down. Like, really? I, yeah, you didn't. I remember one time I got locked in a stairwell and I didn't think about my own safety, like about the fact that I might not be able to get out to, to like, you know, survive or eat food. I thought about, <laughs> oh my God, we've got this deadline. I can't be locked in this effing stairwell right now because <laughs> my boss is going to be so upset with me if this is late, you know? It's like that was the work culture in the early 2000s. That sounds really hard and awful. You know, it's you were I was like young and hungry. Yeah. So I was just happy to have a freaking job. Like so many people who were just as talented or more talented than me did not have jobs um, and couldn't find that first job. And I did. Like, yeah. So. So now you're one of the women that I I aspire to be like in marketing like you're actually like a great inspiration for me (laughs) and one of the things that I always felt like I didn't have like a marketing mentor when I was like starting my career so I love learning from you um side note but how did you then decide so you started off not doing marketing and this is what I find it so interesting so then what I'm like she's just my idol but you didn't actually start out there so what, what actually made you go into marketing um there was a big fucking recession. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So I did some marketing, to be fair. Okay. So I did some marketing at different agencies before the recession. Yeah. But when the recession happened, I landed this job at this small urban design firm who basically couldn't afford a real marketing director slash wouldn't, didn't want to spend the money on a real marketing director okay. <laughs> because it was the recession, right? And I had some work, uh, some experience. I had worked for a couple big names in my agency kind of life, creative agency life before everything crashed. Um, And so I convinced them, I like walked in there and convinced them to let me lead their little marketing department and like do whatever I wanted. I don't know how. (laughs) I had, I did a really firm handshake. Wait, how old were you? Uh, mid-twenties. Oh, awesome. Yeah, mid-twenties. You did the firm handshake that sealed the deal. I did the firm handshake, <laughs> and I wore my hair back in a bun in that interview, <laughs> I remember, because I wanted them to know I was serious. Did you wear a blazer? Yes, I certainly <laughs> wore a blazer and probably, like, some flare pants because nice. that was cool. Um, yeah, so anyway, so I convinced them. We started doing—I convinced them to start doing, like, Facebook brand marketing before it was cool. Like, Facebook had barely monetized, and we were, like, creating this, like, company page with all these, like, videos and interactive pieces and whatever Cool. to help them, like, land these massive projects. And um, What made you want to use Facebook then at that point? Because that was, like, pre-ads, right? Um, it was pre-ads, yeah. yes. Um, so, basically, I recognize that a lot of the... So, this is an urban design firm who's doing a lot of projects, public-private partnership projects. Mm-hmm. So, private development companies and public, um, you know, organizations those are the people who are hiring this firm. Okay. So baby boomers at the time had just gotten on Facebook and they ran everything back then. Yeah. Similar to now. Um, they run a lot um, still, but back then they ran everything, right? So all of everybody who was you know, leading these organizations was a baby boomer, mm-hmm. basically. And they were all getting on Facebook to share pictures of their grandkids or their kids, you know, graduating college and whatever. And that baby boomer population, their usage and engagement of the platform was really rising. Yeah. So I thought, OK, they're all connecting to each other. And my boss, the principals of the firm, et cetera, they are connecting to our potential clients or our past clients. So we need to stay top of mind. So when that next project comes up, that multi-million dollar project, yeah. they our work is top of mind with yeah. them. Smart. 
So none of our competitors were using social media at the time. And I put together these pages where we kind of, um, these beauty kind of portfolios where we did these little low budget videos of our spaces, the spaces, the urban spaces that we designed. And it was kind of like a walkthrough so that you could feel like you were in that space. Oh, wow. And they were such good designers at this you know, firm that this just elevated their work. And before they'd even go to an interview, their potential client would have felt like they were in the spaces that they'd created, right? Which was an experience that was different um, from their competitors. And so they'd show up and their their client was already excited about their work. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was just a different, it was like trying to zig where others zag. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think it's one of those things that's always so easy to think of when you look at it look back at it in hindsight yeah. like oh yeah why wouldn't you use Facebook when you're in it yeah like at the time coming up with those ideas and kind of trying to predict what's popular or not is is the hard thing but that's I that's wasn't really... trying to predict what's popular I just had this feeling like yeah. it was like a really weird and I remember convincing my boss we spent a thousand dollars on those videos a thousand dollars for production from start to finish filming everything and I hired oh like gosh. people who had just graduated and friends of mine and things like that and um I remember convincing him to spend that first grand was really freaking hard and like trying to convince him of what I was doing. But he just really liked me and he thought I was talented and smart. Mm -hmm. And so he just let me kind of do what I want. Like he gave me this leeway and then all of a sudden they were ahead of their competitors and doing Facebook marketing and social media marketing before anybody. So I don't know. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you ever feel like in your early career that you experienced sexism? I know we talk about Uh, it a lot on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I not only experienced sexism at work, I've experienced sexual harassment. Um, I've experienced lots, and not, you know, verbal, but physical. I've experienced lots of things throughout my career um, from clients, from, you know, coworkers and things like that, which is, and it's, the world is changing for the better, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think us old old millennials, right? The people <laughs> who are now entering their late 30s, we experienced some things as we were coming up, you know, as this kind of next big generation yeah. into these very traditional corporate environments that hopefully the younger generations don't have to experience. And that's why, like, I try to champion women leadership so much, yeah. you know, taking yourself seriously, not being able to or not being not laughing off inappropriate things when they happen, but addressing them, Yeah, you know, so that you don't have to go through some of the stuff that we did. You did a great poll in our Facebook group, the yeah. Female Founders Network. Join <laughs> yeah. if you haven't already, which plug. Um, Please where, do. <laughs> where you actually asked women if they'd experienced these kind of things or or the, how they talk about themselves. Yeah, work. yeah. We asked yeah. so we asked uh we ask all kinds of polls first of all in, in the group just to see what women think and what's ever on their minds. Mm-hmm. Um and one was what is the communication habit that you want to kick? And the number one one of the number one responses was I laugh off inappropriate comments mm. when I should say something. I ticked that one. Yeah. <laughs> I used to. Yeah, (laughs) I used to. Yeah. It's really hard being like a young woman coming up in an office, especially in an era. It was really hard in an era where it was mostly a boys club almost anywhere that you went. And, you know, I actually remember going through introductions or the the onboarding process at at firms, Mm -hmm. reputable firms. 
Um, and having, you know, an instance where somebody said, oh, well, here's a sexual harassment policy, but you can just throw it out the window because we don't really go by that, Uh, you know, and this is at a really reputable firm, you know, and so, and that was like a laughing, like, it was like he was making a joke. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, acceptable behavior in that era. Mm. So it's just, you know, it was a different time. Hopefully that's not going on anymore. Um, yeah, well, who, well, it definitely is. <laughs> That's Hopefully. why we're here. <laughs> Hopefully when it is, you know, women have more tools now to address it because they have got more, um, you know, communities of other women. Yeah, and it's not hidden. It's not shameful. We're all speaking about it. The Me Too movement was yeah. like groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, I remember when um, I was harassed as a young woman in the office once, I... Um, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I hope nobody finds out because then I'll never be able to get a job again. Really? Yeah. Because oh, if I don't want to be, if you're that girl, yeah. you know, back in the day, it was like, you don't want to be that girl. Hearing that is like a gut punch. I, <laughs> yeah, saying her. it now as like a, a grown ass woman, if yeah. you will, is like a fucking gut punch. Yeah. Like I never want a young woman to feel like that ever. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, that's what we're trying to do that's what we're here for guys yeah (laughs) for all of you listeners um I digress a little bit because then so you started this got this amazing um opportunity yes and then how did your career progress from there um I just kind of busted my ass over (laughs) over and this is where the professional life is driven by the personal life right so I um you know the short answer is I grew my career over 15 years in marketing and progressive roles at different agencies. I went for jobs I didn't know I could do. Mm-hmm. Um and when I got them I figured it out. Yeah. Um sometimes, you know, I took big risks. I took risks sometimes that ended in failure. One time I was fired after 3 days. Oh no. That's a story and it was actually <laughs> by someone who I actually quite admire now. Oh no. Um <laughs> <laughs> and we've reached out to each other and gotten in touch since then. I okay. maybe I'll ask her to be in the podcast and see if she wants to. But um, you know, I I've made big mistakes. Um, but it, you know, over fifteen years in progressive roles, um, and the reason that I did this is because I was a single mom at a really early age. So. Yeah. Uh, another part of my story is that first shiny job in New York, that was the same era in which I married a um, an East Coast boy at 22 who I was completely incompatible with, like could not be more incompatible. Oh no, but you were just so, in, what, in like, in lust, in love? Um, like I had a baby, um, oh. so we had, we had a son. Um, you know, and I, I loved my son and, and I had been raised, you know, again in the conservative Midwest. So even though I was a forward thinker, I thought the right thing to do, quote unquote, was to get married, you know, and this guy wasn't that bad. He was pretty, he had some cool stuff about him. So why not get married and try to make it work? You know, because when I was 22, that's as deeply as I thought about it, you know? So I found myself, um, you know, really struggling in that marriage and really not knowing what to do and just being really young. Um, and we, i got divorced and was a divorced mother of two by 27. Did you ever feel like you wanted to stay at home during that time or did you just get straight back into work after you had your kids? I always wanted it all. I never wanted, not that, I mean, I think being a stay-at-home mom is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Mm. I I truly do. Um, 
my mother was a stay-at-home mother. I have friends who have left really great careers to be stay-at-home moms, and I don't know how they've done it. Mm. Um, for me, I always wanted to be a working mom. Yeah, I always wanted to be a career woman. Um, but, you know, my ex-husband had some some health issues and some things that he had to go figure out, mm. um, you know. He needed to work on his mental health and some other stuff. So he was out of the picture for many years. And because of that, or in and out of the picture, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, with our children, our two sons. So, um, you know, I was the only person I could depend on. Like, if I didn't make a good career for myself, if I didn't, you know, kind of reach that next promotion, get that next promotion, reach that next level, then my children didn't have as many opportunities and I could only depend on myself. And they are such an inspiration to me. They're the two most amazing humans I've ever met, honestly. Mm. They're they're such good people. Um, Would you say they're your biggest driver? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of drivers in my life, but I definitely think when women become mothers, you you want the world, you want them to see you succeed mm-hmm. and you want to succeed for them to provide that security for them. Yeah. Um but you also just want to help make the world a better place for them in any way that you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know. So it's they my children were inspirational in so many ways and having to support them and and provide a good life for them on my own mm-hmm. was such a driver in my career. So were you living in New York at this point? Still? No, no, no. I was back in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Um, and yeah, and I, I took contracts and jobs for like some, I've worked remotely a lot, yeah. but I worked for a lot of good agencies in Columbus as well. And I actually did a three-year stint for a financial agent, a Fortune 100 financial company there as well. Wow. Um, but yeah, I did. Um, and just paying for childcare and looking after the Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> childcare is really expensive in the States, you guys. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but I did also have supportive parents. I mean, they. my mother told me she... I mean, she's not a babysitter, but she was a good involved grandmother. Yeah. You know, she she t- would take them for me to go travel like uh, right after the 2016 election. Um, yeah. You know, I needed to do some soul searching. So she like, you know, watched them for 10 days while I went to Europe and, and visit, you know, and she watched them um, when I went on a little sabbatical to India. That's amazing. Yeah. She kind of I think she. When I became a fully fledged adult and I had really battled through the hardest part of having two kids on my own and and really made something of myself and defied the odds with my career, my Mm -hmm. mother started learning from me and she'd ask me my opinion about things and kind of, yeah, and I think she, like, we've always kind of had a sister-like relationship, but she wanted to, she didn't always agree with me, but she wanted to help um, and realize, like, kind of how much I'd, how hard I'd worked for yeah. it. I think it's really admirable as well that you took the time for yourself to like do these things and like go to India and go to Europe and do the yeah. traveling. Well, you cannot be a good mum unless you are a happy mum. Yeah. And I would not have been happy feeling trapped completely mm-hmm. in any, you know, one American city, especially when I felt like the more I, you know, a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the more I saw and the more I learned, the more I grew, the more I needed to know, the yeah. more I needed. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, um, 
those experiences and those travels grew my profession, my perspective and helped my professional career, by the way, almost as much as anything. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And then now you're obviously in Sydney. So yeah, you, so <laughs> I came I came to Sydney uh, a few years ago to get my um, master's degree and work in tech marketing. So I did a year contract for a woman who we previously interviewed um, yes. for a fintech company. <laughs> and then um, Jess Ellerm, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, listen to her. She's it's brilliant. Great. Yeah, she's brilliant. <laughs> um, but then I found the job at invoice to go a year ago. Um, and, you know, like you know, invoice to go is an American and Australian company. We have a global reach. Yeah. Um, and it's just an amazing company. It's um, poised to go to the next level and really become everything small business owners and freelancers need to be successful. Yeah. And also they really care about like doing the right thing. So. And I think also by the employees as well, would you say Invoice to Go is one of the best companies that you've worked for? I think it's a really damn good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about it, and I'm not just saying that because they sponsor this podcast, but <laughs> I, you know, it's when you are older and you have experience and you have a choice of companies to work for, right? Like, could I walk, you know, tomorrow, I mean, depending on the economy and everything else, but go get a job at most, many, many, many other tech companies, probably. Yeah. It'd probably be easier. But you want to work for a, the kind of company that you admire and the kind of people that you admire and with the kind of people you admire, you know? So it's... Um, it, Invoice to go has all those things, so that's where I am for now. But there's also some exciting news to share. <laughs> yeah, so I accidentally fell in love after I moved here. <laughs> Whoops. Um, you know, it, which was really hard. It's it it's almost when you've been alone and kind of um, not alone. I dated some great guys. Um, I dated some amazing people. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when you've kind of been the president and CEO of your life. Um, <laughs> and CMO and CFO. <laughs> for a very long time, it's really hard to take a partner, you know, to figure out how to have a partnership when you're used to being the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, being vulnerable and actually entering a relationship was pr- pretty hard. So the last couple of years um, and figuring out how to make that work, right? Yeah. The last few years have been a, a huge growth, another growth cycle for me because, you know, I I fell in love and am engaged and now I'm expecting my third baby <laughs> and it is a girl. So Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another member of the Female Founders Network coming soon. Being founded right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just creating more members, just trying to get that engagement up, you know, <laughs> doing my part. Yeah. So, yeah, congratulations. I'm so excited to meet her. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so, Nat, why does the Female Founders Network mean so much to you? You know, um, this was your initiative. Yes, this was my initiative. <laughs> I hope you guys like it. Um, so, when, since I got divorced young and kind of like made my career happen young and all of that stuff, women have often come my peers have often come to me for advice for different things like maybe they're going through a hardship and maybe they're they've a lot of people have come to me for advice um just because most things I'm like oh yeah I remember when I went through that you know (laughs) like or many things Mm -hmm. um so 
I really realized over the years the importance of just having a sounding board and sharing our stories with each other and being honest and vulnerable and being like, hey, here's how I fucked this up seven times before I finally got it right. You know, like that is so powerful and just connecting with other women is so powerful. And now is the time to elevate the voices of women. You know, we need more women leaders, Mm -hmm. uh, both of companies and businesses and of countries. (laughs) We need to rise and we need to let our voices be heard. We need to not back down and not be scared. Um, So if this is the way that I could do it and I have this amazing company backing me up, then I'm going to do it. Goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. I just think it's awesome. So we're kind of nearing the end of time for our part one of our interview of each other. Mm. Um, Part two is my turn. Yay. But one last question. Yes. What is your advice that you'd give to other women who want to be leaders in marketing? Okay. So there is a fir- a couple things, right, to be successful. So the first thing is to learn the other side of the coin. So marketing involves business knowledge and creativity. So if you are a creative person, like if you went to design school, if you come from creative agencies, learn as much about business and how businesses make money as you can. Mm-hmm. If you are from business school, learn as much about the creative process as you can because that's just as important, right? So learn as much about the thing that you don't know that you need to be successful. You know, just go learn. Great advice. So that's the first that's the first piece. Yeah. Um, the next thing I'd say to women especially is to know your worth and not accept anything less in any part of your life. And mm-hmm. here's what I'll say about that. It applies as much at work as it does in your personal relationships. So at work, if you're working for less than you deserve, comp wise, if you're working for a salary that, you know, is, you know, seventy five percent of what the dude next to you is working for, you are going to be resentful and pissed off and Mm. not as financially secure don't do it yeah stand up for yourself do your research know your worth know what you could get in the market yeah always be doing that research always be validating you Mm. know what you deserve and you haven't had a pay rise in three years then there's a fucking problem yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and you need to go fix that problem because you deserve it girl go get it (laughs) um so that's it but the other thing is Know your worth in your personal relationships because your personal relationships affect your, um, you know, professional life and Mm. everything else so much. Like if you're surrounding yourself with the type of, um, you know, you need to surround yourself with other smart women. You want to be a woman leader? Go find a tribe of women leaders who are badass babes who you totally admire Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with them. You will become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Go find people you admire. And um, in your personal relationships, if you have a shit relationship with some dude or some woman that you're dating Mm -hmm. and you are being treated like shit in any way, that will affect your work life so much. If someone is making you insecure, if you're in a toxic marriage, if you're in a bad relationship, if you're dating dudes who won't text you back, you will feel insecure in the office. Mm because of the way you're being treated in your personal life. So make sure that you look after your worth in your personal life as well. Oh, that was amazing. That's really good advice. And I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I agree with it all. <laughs> well, I can't wait to put you in the hot seat. Oh no. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, mm. I hope you enjoyed part one of our interviewing of each other. 
Yes, and stay tuned for part two. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.